0: Hey, what's going on, everybody? You are listening to the College Info Geek Podcast. My name is Thomas Frank, and this is a show that helps you become a more effective student. And I got to warn you up front, this is one of those episodes where the title only refers to a small part of the episode. It is the majority of kind of the meat in this episode, but it is only a small part. And that is because um, I'm having a conversation with my friend, Simon Clark, who is one of my YouTuber friends. And he's also a PhD student in atmospheric physics over at the University. Uh, University of Exeter in the UK. And Simon is one of those people who I can't seem to have a short conversation with. Every time we talk, we end up talking for multiple hours at a time. Um, no matter what I try to do, it ends up happening. It's inevitable. And this episode is no different. So, fair warning, we go through a lot of topics in this episode, and it honestly starts off with a bunch of off topic stuff. We talk about camera gear and Pokemon and all sorts of stuff that maybe you might be interested to listen to. But We also get into something that I was really interested in and I wanted to talk to Simon about, which is what life is like at Oxford University. Oxford University is one of the most famous universities in the world. It is actually the second oldest university in the world, having been started back in 1066. Um, The only older university is one in... Italy, I believe. And Simon actually graduated from Oxford before moving on to the University of Exeter, and he graduated with a a degree in physics. So he has got a bunch of cool stories and just information about what life is like there. And I also wanted to pick his brain about what life is like now as a PhD student. I was curious about the workload, um, the kind of work he does, uh, the kind of split between academic work and more like worky work that feels like a job. So we're going to talk about that in this episode among the Little pockets of totally off topic fun discussion. So, this isn't one of those ridiculously info packed episodes, um, but fear not because Martin and I have a series of episodes coming in the next few weeks that is going to hit you in the face like a ton of bricks with information. So, this episode is a little bit of like a fun breather before that uh, series starts. So, Show notes are over at CIGpodcast.com. Find the episode 108 link on the page and you'll find all the resources we talk about, including links over to Simon's YouTube channel because like I said, Simon is one of my YouTuber friends and uh, he was actually one of the first people I started following when I started my channel because he was one of the only people that I found on YouTube who was doing really good content on how to study. And I'm gonna to link to a few of those videos in the show notes so you can check them out. He also has a series of videos on his channel that is dedicated to helping people get into Oxford University because, as he explains in this conversation, there's kind of like a stigma that uh, not everyone gets to go to Oxford University and uh, what he wants to kind of let people know is that it really is based on your merits and your ability to work hard. And uh, his channel is kind of just dedicated to getting that information out there and helping people go through the process, which which I really respect. So that's all I've got for this intro. Definitely check out the show notes if you want to check out Simon's channel and his work or any of the other things that we talk about in the episode. And other than that, hopefully you enjoy the conversation. (laughs) Simon, welcome to the show. (laughs) Tom, thank you for having me. What's going on, dude? So uh, Yeah, I, I wanted to talk to you about like a bunch of things, because you, you have like a bunch of interesting things about you. So I have no idea what I'm going call this episode. But to recap, for people who don't know you from your YouTube channel, which is awesome. Thank uh, you. You're a YouTuber and a PhD student. Sometimes. Sometime, sometimes. Sometimes. I watch all I'm your a- vlogs where you're like presenting all this crazy weather research that makes you look like storm or something. Like you're gonna control the weather. Ah, uh, I never thought uh, of it
1: like that. Yeah, I'm basically like Storm from the X-Men. Pretty it, much. I, was always, I always thought it was like an under... She could use that power so much better. Like, I felt I felt like she wasn't using that to the best of her abilities.
0: She could. Oh, to get real nerdy on you for a second, so I don't know about Storm. Um, but you know how, like, Iceman always kind of seemed like a sort of... Not lame, but like, not that powerful X-Men? Wait, well, yeah, it really it's like a poor connect. cousin
1: poor cousin to Storm it's like oh you can do that that's cute right. I can do all the other elements
0: okay but as time went on like the X-Men comic writers started to think a little bit more about the science of the powers they had just willy-nilly made up <laughs> and then they were like huh Iceman is pulling moisture from the air and making ice he's actually violating the laws of thermodynamics and, and making state changes in matter which means he's creating energy or destroying energy so actually he's like one of the most powerful <laughs>
1: Oh, okay. They retconned him to account Something for like physics. that. So I, nice. I haven't read
0: the comics yet, like, but apparently in the newer ones, he's like omega level mutant because he can, he's figured out how to use that part of his power in much more creative ways. Like, huh. Yeah, the
1: power where he can break the laws of physics, like really spectacularly. Exactly. Like, yeah. The second law of thermodynamics is like the most important law in the universe. <laughs> and if you can break that, you're, you're kind of powerful. What was the second one again? Is that the one about uh, entropy? Entropy always increases. Basically, the, um, the the two laws of thermodynamics that matter, the first one determines energy flow, the fact that energy is not created or destroyed, and the second law mm. determines the flow, like the direction.
0: That's right, yeah. I read that the second law of thermodynamics isn't concrete, it is just probabilistic, meaning that <laughs> entropy could in theory decrease, but it just, in, in all observable instances, and it's basically like 99 to the 9 repeating probability that it will
1: I, th- I think well, there's basically different definitions of entropy. Like there, there are there is a statistical definition of entropy, and then there are other. Well, I suppose any thermodynamic relation at the end of the day is a statistical thing. Like temperature is a statistical average over just an inhumanly not large number of particles. Yeah. So, and, which is one of the re- links between like. Classical and quantum physics with people pointing out, well, actually, like, classical physics is probabilistic. It's just that the probabilities are one, basically, right. because you're summing over so many possibilities. So we got really nerdy, like, really. We're like five minutes in.
0: PhD students, everybody.
1: <laughs> Sorry. We're kind of intense. Sorry. I'll, I'll, I'll let you talk. Sorry. See, but I'm not a
0: PhD student, and I can get into this stuff. So my, my thinking is there's like six people still listening, and they're yeah, into hi, it.
1: hi, the six of you. If, 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 <laughs> my mom is probably one of them. Hi, mom.
0: <laughs> is your mom a PhD? No, no, no no one in my
1: family's been to university, actually. I'm really? the first. So yeah.
0: you're, you're what we call a first gen.
1: Oh, first gen. Well, that makes me sound like a, like a rare like a Charmander or something. Yeah. Charmander was the first Pokemon card I ever got, funnily enough. Was first it? First gen and my very first. I don't when remember. I was what 11 the, years
0: old. I don't remember the first Pokemon card I got, but it was definitely the Pokemon that I picked in Pokemon Blue when I, when I got it at eight years old.
1: Yeah, well, uh, my first gen game I got yellow, so I I had Pikachu. Oh yeah, yep. And then, but but afterwards, when I I bought red, not that long ago actually, and I always go for Charmander because the first uh, uh, gym is water based. So once you mm-hmm. get over that hurdle, you're set. Wait, again,
0: we're so nerdy. Wait, the first gym is rock based.
1: <laughs> I thought the first gym was water.
0: Nah, dude, it's Brock and then Misty and then Colonel whatever is or Lieutenant Lieutenant Surge, Surge. Lieutenant <laughs> Surge, yeah, and then Erica. And then Sabrina, and then Koga, and then Blaine, and then Giovanni. Get it right, man. Oh, I feel
1: <laughs> uh, oh, I've been schooled. I'm, I'm going to stay away from uh, stay away from all geeky topics from now. That's, that's, I actually, that's,
0: I only know Gen One stuff. If you ask me anything about Gen Two onward, like people are just going to realize that I am horribly just like I'm one of those Gen One purists. Yeah, I played Crystal, not in, and that was it. Oh, okay, yeah. I feel like I turned Crystal on for a while and I I played Silver for a little bit, but I just never finished them. I think Mm. I was getting out of my Pokemon phase when those games came out. So I have nothing against the uh, later gens. I just never played them. So don't yell at me. (laughs) Yeah, like I've got friends who've played every
1: single one and loved them and they're still in the zone. And it's like I I kind of envy them in a way. I wish I could still have the enthusiasm I had about Gen 1. I know, right? my,
0: My roommate does that. He's like, he's super into it. In fact, he gets his Spanish practice by watching the new Pokemon. He just wanders oh, it wow. in Spanish, yeah. And like he's, it's, it's basically helping him become even more fluent. So <laughs> no such thing cool. as
1: fluency, though. I, my girlfriend's uh, living in Spain at the moment, actually. Um, she's a languages student. Oh, and yeah. I keep telling her, that, oh, you're fluent by now. And she just keeps beating me with this idea. There's no <laughs> such thing as fluency. Like, you know, We're not fluent in English because there's still obscure words that we don't know. We get our grammar wrong all the time. Well, it's I just think the fact that
0: you know, it's expected. I think there's such a thing as fluency. There's just nothing as, no such thing as perfect fluency. Because, yeah, it's
1: it's it's an, it's a concept like it's like infinity. You can have extremely high numbers that are to right. to all intents and purposes infinite, but they're not infinite. I mean, they're a, just a like language trident.
0: is just an arbitrary uh, set of agreed upon communication terms. But within any language, you've got people who are like, oh, like my girlfriend and I have a word that we made up that we use because oh, we, cool. We, what is it? What's it's, the definition? It's font. Because a lot of times, how do you you spell them? F. It's like it's the word want, but the word F isn't, or the letter F is in front of it. Because often we'll be like, you know, I really want a motorcycle, and it's like you don't actually want a motorcycle. You don't want to go through all the stuff to get it, but if one just popped into existence and you could ride it, and then it would pop out of existence, like that's kind of it's like a fake want. So like sometimes we'll be like, I want that, but I don't want it. There
1: was a, um, a similar discussion on the most recent Hello Internet podcast, actually. I don't know if you listen to Hello Internet.
0: I do, but I, I have not listened to the last two. I'm kind of behind.
1: Okay, so that they, in the most recent one, they, they talk about, um, I think they called it, it's, it's between want and need. Um, like the Apple Watch for some people is like a, it's not a need item. You don't need it in the same way as you oh, need yeah. him, but it's a, but they call it a weed. Like, <laughs> I, I really, I weed the Apple Watch.
0: I, I want it, but dude, it would totally like make me more productive. Like, I kind of yeah. need it. Not really, but I kind of, I have an Apple yeah, the, Watch. I, I like it. I don't need uh, actually, it. actually, the
1: guy who sits next to me has an Apple Watch, and I am kind of a little bit jealous because it's like, uh, I don't did you ever play the Time Splitters games?
0: Yeah, Time Splitters 2 is my jam, dude.
1: Yeah, that was the best multiplayer in any game. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's like the
0: best first-person shooter multiplayer game ever made. I
1: don't know if you remember, is 3, Cortez had like the... Actually, it might have been in... No, it wasn't in 2, it was in 3. He had like the wrist-based inventory system.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah.
1: Like, that's basically the Apple Watch. Like, if you can get Google Maps up, that is basically like, you know, your inventory in a game.
0: Honestly, the value proposition for the Apple Watch is you feel like you're in Star Trek. Like when you when you yeah. talk to somebody on your wrist you're like this i this is the future right now actually <laughs> i mean that's i get the, the most out of the, the health and fitness stuff but just other things yeah. are really cool too
1: that's made me want one now i've not thought of it from the star trek angle but that like mm-hmm. if you could make it like the the next generation communicator so it's on like your your chest oh you just yeah. touch it to talk to people i'd be down for that I'd, I'd pay good money for that
0: that would be amazing honestly at this point because we're we're far enough into 2016 i would almost wait till the second one for you like i mm. bought mine last fall so i was like it's probably going to be like at least a year until they announce the second one and then i realized that i've wasted money but i just have this feeling like we're getting close to an O a watch two and i'm really hoping they're going to store up some of the problems
1: this uh, is actually what they were talking about in the most recent hello internet actually was the fact oh, really? that they haven't released one yet so i, I won't it's ruin the discussion that they but
0: didn't they
1: well, I think, basically, there just hasn't been the uptake. Like, mm-hmm. the, the have, people haven't been as interested as as they have seen in the past with their flagship items like the iPad and the iPhone. Like, yeah. it's just been a bit, well, I mean, just not very desirable, I guess. Glamorous and cool, but, like, for the price point and considering the fact that it does the job of a watch, which you can buy very cheaply. Yeah. Yeah, I can I can understand why people aren't interested,
0: to be honest. there's There's hardly anything that it does that I'm like, this thing does... Something nothing else could do for me like the exercise stuff. I see a lot of people with Fitbits And like that's I don't know how much that it doesn't cost very much You know that tracks your steps and everything so it's like it, it does the Fitbit thing really well And then everything else you could just pull your phone out of your pocket and spend an extra 10 seconds Yeah, so it's yeah, that's why I say like for most people. It's not really that useful, but I enjoy having it um, And it makes logging into two-factor off sites a lot easier
1: Oh, okay. I mean, I did, I'd enjoy it if I owned it, definitely. But I'd rather spend the money on, like, a new microphone because yes. I'm a massive geek.
0: I may be buying a new microphone, soon. <laughs> oh, really?
1: Should we, should we talk Dietz or Is that too too geeky even well, for this? Well,
0: okay, I, f- I feel like I've just been steadily, like, overthinking my mic placement in my videos. I don't know. I, all I know is, like, somebody in a comment recently was like, you have too much syllabus on your microphone, and the reason is you have your microphone too far away for what this model is which is a podcasting microphone, it's a vocals microphone, you're supposed to eat it, basically. Oh, is
1: is, is it like a Shure? Oh no,
0: it's a Sennheiser, isn't it? It's a Shure, yeah, it's a Shure SM7B. Um, It's the mic that Michael Jackson recorded Thriller on, you know, amazing microphone. And the way I used to film my videos is I would have the camera pointing down at me a little bit so the mic could just kind of hide out of frame, but still real Mm. close. And then I started experimenting with shots where I was, like, more of my body is in the frame which necessi- necessitated the mic being further away and then it had bunked the gain, le- the gain levels up and just got problems, man. So I'm thinking well, about know, a shotgun this is, mic.
1: This is the nature of the game, isn't it? You buy a new piece of kit and then you <laughs> experiment and then you get it to where you're just happy and then you buy the next bit of kit mm. and change everything you've done. Because uh, I, yes. I mean, I'm lucky in... I, I was using um, a Rode VideoMic Pro for my footage. Yep. Um, and now I've changed to... what well, I'm recording this on now, which is an NTG2 which is basically, to all intents and purposes, the same. It's just higher quality. So yeah. I can use all the tips and tricks that I picked up before. Um, and I feel like I'm pretty happy with boomed microphones now. It's it's that, now getting to the point where I want to do, for example, podcasting stuff or uh, recording vocals for music, mm-hmm. which I'm thinking of buying an NT1A, a uh, Rode NT1A for. Um, yeah.
0: My friend Chase, I mean, he did like this podcaster's like high-quality microphone shootout thing where he wanted to he wanted to compare all these podcasting mics and then he threw in like this Audio Technica 150 buck uh, shotgun microphone and that was his favorite one for podcasting. So I was like, These give a great response for,
1: for like, I mean I record, so I did the video recently on um uh, what I sing, I'm a choral scholar, so I sing different stuff every week and I did a little yeah. uh, sort of teaser at the start and that was just recorded on one microphone. Mm-hmm. Like it was the simplest placement and it, it picks, it, it makes it sound like you've got about three or four microphones. Like, yeah. It's, I, I'm absolutely in love with this thing. It's just, and considering I think it was about 150 pounds. So what, like 250 dollars? Like,
0: yeah. The price point. The exchange point is just amazing. rate. Oh, I I may still be coming out this year to the UK, unless like the it's like, oh my gosh, my money is going to be cut in half <laughs> the moment I land. Oh, <laughs> is 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 that
1: not, not secret? Are we allowed to talk about this?
0: Oh yeah. I mean, I'll talk about it. I don't know if it's going to happen yet. I want it to happen, but. Um, basically, it's just like, hey, if we can get on a panel at Summer in the City, then I have a business reason to come to the UK. Uh, yeah. And uh, may also be doing some collab stuff with some UK YouTubers. So if it happens, it happens. Um, I'm a little sad that we haven't figured it out yet and nailed it down because a couple weeks ago, plane tickets to the UK were $700. And now they're back up to $1,200. Oh, so, I'm just I've got the alerts and I'm just like waiting I'm like all right please come back down please come back down
1: (laughs) yeah we'll just play chicken with it you know it'll keep it'll drop really slowly and you're just seeing how long you can leave it until basically um, still get a seat
0: (laughs) it's like yeah it's like the the opposite of the stock market you're just like waiting for your stuff to rise were you paying attention when the bitcoin explosion happened no, I've not really been a bit uh, a Bitcoiner at all. It's like a part of the
1: internet that I just completely stayed away from. Yeah,
0: I never mined any Bitcoins. I've never done really anything with them. But I remember, you know, they were just dirt cheap for the longest time, and then for whatever reason, there was like this big speculative boom, and it was up to like two hundred bucks per Bitcoin. Um, Shoot! And there were some people who became millionaires off that because they were like the nerds who'd been mining them since two thousand seven. They were like, sell them off, millionaire. You know, that's and crazy. then flooded the
1: market and reduced the value of uh, yeah. everyone else's bitcoins. You
0: know, this is a problem with a speculative bubble. It's it's really volatile. And some people uh they went in, they bought a bunch, and then the next day they were down like a hundred dollars per coin, and these people were like devastated and all this crap is happening. It's like this is a this is the reason that you get an index fund and you just hold. <laughs> you just <Yeah. laughs> you auto invest and hold because this is what happens. People get all fearful. But now a bitcoin's like what, four hundred bucks? So
1: I don't know I, 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 you could quote me any figure and I would believe it <laughs> all I know
0: all I know is it's pretty high actually it might be 800 bucks for Bitcoin because there was this computer virus called I think it was called BitLocker and it would encrypt all your files and then you'd have to like pay a ransom of like two bitcoins to get all your files unencrypted and there was like I love, there's I, I, no way to get rid of it you got to pay
1: I love how high value the, like, the commodity is. It's like, yeah. you know, for, in Game of Thrones or something, it's like, oh, you had to pay two gold pieces. <laughs> like, <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> rather than, it's so much better than, like, oh, $1,000. Oh, you have to pay two pieces. And, mm-hmm. you know, are there subunits? Is there, like, a presumably, like, do you get milli bitcoins or do you
0: have to trade them in units of one? Uh, it's units of, well, you don't have to, like, they are infinitely in a divisible. Like I have been sent 0.025 BTC from a friend once, you know. Mm-hmm. I think I think he had like signed up for some Bitcoin market and they gave him like a Bitcoin. This was back in the day when it wasn't worth the hundred bucks, and wow. uh, it was like, hey, invite a friend to join. You can send them a little tiny piece of a Bitcoin. So I have I have 0.0025 or something like that floating around somewhere <laughs> that I've never used. I'll mean, wait that till in, 2050 and it'll be worth a million. That's, that's what I'm banging. That's my retirement plan right there. You're looking at it on the hard drive like, you know, oh <laughs> today it's worth seven dollars. Yes. Yeah. Anywho. Yeah, this anyway, is, this we're is getting gonna way become off topic. One of my See, I sometimes I like doing these episodes, the rambly ones. Um mm. they're fine. Because it's it's my own little hello internet like wedged into the the super productive college podcast. <laughs> it's like a Trojan yeah. horse
1: exactly like rambling is what apparently my mum thinks i'm very good at anyway I, <laughs> I, I burble a lot and just just talk random crap
0: well so. we are youtubers
1: it's what we do for a living it's basically <laughs> what we do
0: yeah um so the few things i had in mind when i asked you to do an episode with me though where like you went to oxford which is cool mm-hmm. and a lot of people are like oxford is awesome uh and you have like this i think you have some videos on getting into oxford uh, and Jamie That's where I does too. Yeah. yeah, and your that was your channel's kind of original vision was like getting into Oxford and study tips. Yeah, like well,
1: that. I mean, so the, the the strange thing about Oxford, and I think a lot of people don't realize this if you don't live in the UK, is that it's a very it holds a very unique place in like British society. Mm-hmm. Like people people have a lot of. Problems with the way that like British social structure works, and the lack of social mobility, and the fact that we have still a pretty rigid like class system. The fact mm. that you do have, you know, a, a quite well-defined middle class of people with quite high incomes. Then you have the the upper class people, you know, who own horses and multiple houses and whatnot. And then the the normal people, like, like my background, at the bottom rung. Yeah. Um, and people associate Oxbridge, so that's Oxford and Cambridge, with. Mm-hmm. The upper and middle classes, like very strongly, and people think that if you didn't go to a private school, you know, if you didn't, um, if you didn't learn Latin, or if you, you know, if you didn't have family that went to Oxford, you're just not going to get in. And there's a lot okay. of these myths that people believe, and um, I broke all of them. I mean, I was, as we said, I was the first person in my family to go to university. I come from a, a completely normal background. My dad, uh, well, both my parents were, were military. My dad was in the navy. My mom was in the Ministry of Defence. Um, you know, I, I went to a state school, um, did considerably better than basically anybody who went to a private school, and as a result, I got into Oxbridge. Because the truth of the matter is that they only care about how good you are at your subject mm. and how passionate you are about the subject. So seeing that on the inside, I had this like valuable perspective. So I decided to make YouTube content to try and convince people that that's the case, that all you have to worry about is how good you are and try and dispel some of these myths. Because there are so many people who are very talented but who just don't apply and get put off because they don't, they, they believe all these myths so they get, they get put off, they think they won't fit in. And mm. it, it's just, it means people are not wasting their potential because there's education out there that's just as good as Oxbridge, yeah. really. Um, it's just that it's such a unique environment that people are denying themselves. Mm-hmm. And... Um, yeah, that, that was where I started, was doing a lot of Oxbridge content and then associated with that doing studying tips to help people get the very top grades. Yeah. Uh, because that's that's what you need.
0: So I'm curious, like, what is it about Oxford and Cambridge besides the association with the upper classes that makes it kind of so special or makes it just so different?
1: Well, you've got a lot of history, for mm-hmm. one thing. Um, I mean, uh, <laughs> Oxford, no one actually quite knows when Oxford was founded. There's evidence that there was teaching there in... 1096 AD holy crap yeah it's coming up to its thousand year anniversary Um, and then the earliest college with the university was founded in uh, 1249 and then Cambridge was founded in 1209 so you know they're they're incredibly old institutions and they have so they're um, like
0: super super like
1: 800 year old buildings there some of them yeah that like that's the the other thing about the they're not campus universities the um the university is the city and the city is the university so you have these oh. university buildings that are scattered throughout the centre of oxford and the centre of cambridge and the fringes as well um okay. so you, yeah, you don't have, like, for example, I'm now a PhD at the University of Exeter, which is a campus, and that was really weird for me, the fact mm-hmm. that but I come on campus, and there's all the buildings in one place, and you have a campus, you know, sports center, and cinema, and supermarket, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, at Oxford, you just, you, you leave your college, and then you walk through the city to get to your department, which is, you know, like a 10 Oh, uh,
0: okay. Away. That's actually um, sort of, like, the there are three big universities, like state universities here in Iowa, where I live. I went to Iowa State, which is, like, your Exeter, very insular campus um, and the town is only about the same size as the campus to be honest like the campus is huge uh, but then like University of Iowa is more of an Oxford style where it's just buildings kind of strewn throughout the city. Oh cool okay. Though it seems like it, the way you said it, it kinda seems like the city is second fiddle to Oxford almost.
1: Yeah I mean that's more the case in Cambridge because Cambridge is, is smaller as a place it's a, it feels like okay. a town. Oxford feels like a city. Okay, um, it's got about one hundred eighty thousand people in it, so it's it's not oh, a wow. small place by you know by British standards anyway. Yeah. Um. And whereas Cambridge, like out of term time when all the students go away, it feels quite dead because the population's dropped by, you know,
0: that's what Ames is like. people. <laughs> um. Which actually, I loved it. The summers I spent uh, in Ames on campus, like it's it's just dead and it's cool. Yeah. Everything's just empty. Like you have your own university.
1: So, um, so yeah, like, th- there's, there's that aspect to it. Um, so, yeah, you get all these buildings, the different ages, and <laughs> the confusing thing about Oxbridge is that you d- you have the university, but what you call college, we call university. Mm-hmm. Right. But within Oxford and Cambridge and Durham, another university, you have colleges within the university.
0: So we have so- that, too. Oh, do you? Oh, uh, okay, I didn't realize. Yeah, that. so there's all these semantic differences, but in- at least in the-, in the U.S., we have colleges, and they're usually smaller, like, private colleges or liberal arts schools but then we do have the big universities and at least at mine and i've heard many others the departments are almost they're called colleges so at iowa state Uh, university i was in the college of business they had the college of engineering college of Uh, uh, human sciences that kind of stuff
1: so that's what that's like here exeter okay Uh, it's diff it is different again in oxbridge then so uh the analogy that i like is that um well you're admitted to university mm-hmm. and you, you study a subject. So I study physics. So I, like everybody else in the university who studied physics, uh, did my lectures in the physics department, mm-hmm. and I did lab work there, and that was where I handed in my projects and all that kind of stuff. But I was also a member of St. Peter's College, um, which is like a Hogwarts house in that your, your college provides your accommodation. Um, oh. There'll be catering. Um, you also have some elements of your teaching are specific to the college. Mm-hmm. So um, you have uh, about the other thing is that they're small. Like they vary a bit in size, but the average is about a hundred students per year per college. So how many you will colleges know every... are there then? Uh, like Thirty-eight lot? colleges, and then there are six permanent private halls, which are s- slightly different. They're like mini colleges for monks.
0: For monks, okay. So yeah, there's monks at them too.
1: Oh yeah, you'd be walking around <laughs> the supermarket and there'd just be a dude in like a, a brown monk's outfit and you're like oh cool
0: really you okay know.
1: yeah uh, yeah. the permanent private halls were founded by Christian like denominations and yeah. they and those uh, like the governance of the college of the permanent private halls are still partly down to the, that denomination whereas the colleges are separate um, so yeah there, there are 38 colleges and they vary a bit I think the smallest you'd have about like 16 a year the biggest you'd have like 200 and in mm-hmm. Cambridge it's bigger again like Cambridge colleges there's fewer of them that, but they're bigger um But yes, they're small. And then you have your accommodation on site, typically. um, And that can range from being in a 700-year-old building to being in a 10-year-old building. Um, And you do, and then you have like a common room. Most colleges have their own gym. Some have their own entertainment things like their own cinema, like that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the, the really cool bit about Oxbridge is the teaching that's specific to the colleges. So you do your lectures. And you, the exam at the end of the year is set by the department, so that's standardized for everyone. Okay. But instead of having, I'm guessing that in your uni you do like classes that like the lecturers would set a problem set, you, you you'd answer it, you'd submit it. Maybe you'd have classes with groups of like twenty or thirty people
0: like mm-hmm. going over it. Um, uh, yeah, and then there's also like the huge lectures where there's like two hundred people in a class. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so
1: basically. The way it works differently for the sciences and the humanities. The sciences, you the lectures was, you know, there's like two hundred people in the lectures, mm-hmm. and they will give out a problem sheet. Then you have a week to do that problem sheet, but you don't hand it in centrally. You hand it into an academic in your college who's your tutor. Oh, okay. And then and then your tutor will mark it, and you sit down in a tutorial or a chute, and um, you spend an hour going through the problem set and working for every question. And that might be the case of you got cool. it right. Right, let's extend it and you know, drawing on a whiteboard saying what if we had this term or mm-hmm. you got this wrong, let's work through it. And the tutors are like world leading academics. Like I was I was tutored for atomic physics by the guy who wrote the textbook on atomic really? physics. Really? Yeah, which is really, so, really cool.
0: And, so St. Peter's College has its own tutor and this guy he is for physics. And then, well there are multiple.
1: You would have two or three per year. So Oh okay. Uh, yeah, and, now, and they specially each of these tutors
0: things. are they only uh, tutoring one college,
1: uh, for the sciences generally, yes. Okay, I'll get into the humanities in a sec. Um, so you know, for say, for example, in my third year, I actually had uh, like four tutors, and one of them was actually at the. De- I know two of them were at the department rather than linked to the college, but you know they service multiple colleges. Um, so you'd have two or three tutorials a week, mm-hmm. um, and. The, the cool thing about them is the fact that there's so few people in your college. In my year, there were four people doing physics at some pieces. So the most I ever had in terms of like student to academic ratio was four to one. Uh, most of the wow. time it was two to one, and then sometimes it was one on one. So like I had a one on one with the head of astrophysics at Oxford. That is a lot of attention.
0: So yeah, that, that's and awesome. that's what
1: like like the ability to go through it and mm-hmm. like go through the problem and then to push you, like that, and also like not just necessarily like writing on a board, but also just like conceptually being like, right, so this question's about this, but what happens if you, know, you consider this? And then there's like an awkward silence, and then somebody says something, and then you get discussion going. Okay. Um, and that's really cool. That, and like, That is just the, it, it makes you grow academically so much. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, so, it, and in terms of the workload, you'd have, I mean, I mean, you'd have about 10 hours of lectures a week. Uh, in physics, okay. you'd then do about seven hours of labs every week. You then do two or three hours of tutorials every week. But for every hour in a tutorial, you're expected to do 10 hours of work on your own. So Ten adds hours adds up.
0: Yeah. So, so it see, adds up to a lot. Two hours of tutorials, so it's like 17 plus... So you're basically doing like... It's like a full-time job, basically.
1: Yeah. So students at Oxford aren't allowed to have jobs. When you, when you sign to your really? college, you're not allowed to have a part-time job other than working in your college bar. That's the If your college has a student-owned bar, you're allowed to do that.
0: Okay. So, so it's it's intense. This is this is kind of a crazy setup. For I mean, for mm. one, the drinking age is twenty-one here, so there's no such thing as an on-campus bar. Oh, of course, you poor guys. <laughs> St. Peter's had the best bar in the whole university. It was really?
1: it was just well, uh, most bars in colleges were owned by like a company. Mm-hmm. And then you know you'd, you'd wander in and it would be like kind of like a pub or a bar like anywhere, whereas St. Peter's the students owned it and staffed it and if you requested like a drink, yeah, give it a week they might put it on tap for you. Um, it was that's democratically cool. run. Yeah, yeah. You know, and you could work behind the bar. But also like the feel is just amazing because it's it's all students. So mm-hmm. for one thing it was dirt cheap. Like a pint was <laughs> one pound sixty, which in US is like what, that's cheap two two and a bit dollars. Yeah. Um, so you know, and and we had our own college drink, the, the the cross keys, which was a fiver for six shots topped up with lemonade, which was amazing. Uh, it was like two, two <laughs> shots of it was like two, like Goldschlager, uh, Bacardi, oh, apple sours. like you know it was it was this amazing drink.
0: <laughs> what a college drink, Goldschlager. <laughs>
1: um, well, because it was, it was the college room because our college colors were green and gold. And okay. the idea is it was green and they had gold flecks in it. Yeah. Um, so a bit like Tywin Lannister's
0: eyes. Um, you ought to do... Uh, have you ever had Midori? I don't think I have. It's this melon liqueur. And uh, I love it because it is the only thing you can get in the US that tastes anything remotely like melon soda in Japan. Uh, oh. If you mix it with ginger ale, it basically tastes like the melon soda you can get in Japan, which you can't get in the US Which is dumb because Fanta makes it and They're a US-based <laughs> company. But they're like, I guess US people don't want this super delicious melon soda So we won't sell it here. You guys can just oh, have the sucked. orange and the grape. Yeah <laughs> oh, man. So, so that'd be a so, yeah, good drink that, for you guys, green and gold. Goldschlug yeah, it would inventory. be awesome. That's perfect. Boom. Um, so yeah, you got the you know, there's the college
1: bar, you have got the, the 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 common room next to it. So we had a college common room for the you know 300, 400 people in mm-hmm. the junior common room, which is the undergraduates. There's also a middle common room for graduate students who are doing PhDs and masters. But in the common room, you know, you have like a pool table, football table, ping pong table, vending machines. We had arcade games that would be rotated in. You know, huge TV. So when when there was like a big sporting event, like England playing in the World Cup, the place is just rammed, like totally totally packed.
0: Is this one Uh, building?
1: Uh, It's a complex, so you have um, so St. Peter's is kind of a weird example because it's a newer college. It was only founded in 1961 as a college. Okay, Um, and you've got as part of that, even though the the bit the college is that old, you've got Edwardian staircases for accommodation, so they're 1930s. You've Mm -hmm. got a brand new building. You've also got Linton House, which was the headquarters of the Oxford Canal Company, later repurposed into the college library. Um, which, yeah, because every college has its own library as well as there being department libraries and a central library. Um,
0: this is insane. Like, I need to go here. Just, I just want oh, to experience yeah. it, like see it.
1: like that. And that's the thing. Like the buildings, so Linton House is an example in St. Peter's that looks gorgeous. It basically looks like a hunk of butter that's been carved into this like stately home. It's, it's really amazing. And then you have like the Bodleian, which is the central library, which was built in uh, like 1609, I want to say like sometime in the early 1600s, and that's like a classic uh, Elizabethan-looking structure. Mm-hmm. And then you've got people like Christopher Wren, who designed the great um, St. Paul's Cathedral in London, who designed the, the Radcliffe Camera, which is the famous circular building, which is the uh, theology and law library, I think. Okay. Um, like, the, yeah, you know, the, the buildings just look out of this world. And then you've got the new stuff. So they just they just opened the Mathematical Institute, which is the Andrew Wiles building, which is like space-age looking and yeah. actually, funnily enough, between the Bodleian, which is 1600s and the Radcliffe Camera, which is 1700s, they've just built an underground library connecting them. Which, really? It, which looks like if the Victorians designed a spaceship and just landed it underground. It's like metal grills everywhere, like steampunk. It's It's so cool.
0: Um, I'm going like to be doing some Googling later. <laughs> yeah, sorry. This is it's, 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 it's a very visual topic for a podcast. Well, it's reminding me of Japan a little bit because Japan is like this weird, or Tokyo in, uh, specifically, it's like this weird mix of really old temples and stuff and then like super futuristic new buildings. Sometimes yeah, exactly it's imagining like that. like that, but like a European architecture twist.
1: Yeah, basically. I mean,
0: if you go on Google Street View in Oxford, um, the
1: one thing the street system makes... No sense whatsoever. Really? Uh, like if you look at a, if you look at a street map of Oxford, there's the modern roads that go in, and then the roads just give up, and it becomes like a, a like a bunch of rat's tails. <laughs>
0: Is like, it like all so, cobblestones and stuff?
1: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The cobblestones all over the place, tiny little alleys um, that connect to everything. And yeah, you go from you know really really old buildings. Uh, I actually I used the oldest building in Oxford to store drums for a concert I was doing. It was really? this building that was from the. It was a Saxon building, so it's over a thousand years old. Um, oh man! Oh yeah, it's a, it's a very cool city when you visit. I have to me and Sally LePage will show you around.
0: I'm on I'm on Google Street View right now. I'm looking at St Michael's Hall. Uh, Saint oh wait, Michaels is this Hall. is this your thing? I don't know. I don't know where Saint, I am. There's some St Michael's
1: Street was the street with the Oxford Union on, which is right next to my college. I think um, I, um, ended I was up on a, U- in an
0: alleyway somewhere okay. <laughs> so, uh, so, uh, so this sounds so like Hogwarts. Did you have a, yeah, a basilisk it, in your building?
1: Not that I was aware of. There was an old particle accelerator in the physics building, though. Well, that's pretty cool. And yeah. like the, 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 the physics building was a weird one because it was like a 1960s concrete monstrosity. But oh, on like the brutalist? inside. Yeah. But it, 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 it was like... Also, I think the concrete these were so low-grade that they had... Um, uh, stalactites hanging from the building, even though it was really? only like 50 years old. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like they had an old particle accelerator. They had an old, a huge like million volt Van de Graaff generator in a tower next to it. Mm-hmm. Um, they built one of the main components of CERN in. Uh, like in, in the, the, the LHC in yeah. in the physics department, I actually went for dinner with the guy who nearly broke it uh, because he <laughs> messed up a, a, a basic physical relation between humidity and temperature, and he almost destroyed this like multi million pound sensor. Oh man! And, uh, and just like t- fixed his mistake and walked away. And just that
0: would have felt <laughs> <laughs> pretty bad. Yeah, you gotta be uh, careful yeah, sometimes.
1: Uh, so so what did we get to? We were talking about. Um, yeah, it's like a complex of buildings, right, yeah. See, so, um, and that varies. So, like, St. Peter's is a small college in the middle of town. Mm-hmm. Maudlin College, which is where Jamie Miles, another YouTuber, went, um, that's, I think it might be the biggest in terms of grounds, but they, ha- they have a deer park as part of their college. Um, really? Yeah. Uh, as well as, like, <laughs> I
0: experienced a deer park for the first time in Japan. Oh, really? Yeah. If you go to the city of Nara, which is, the ori- like, apparently the original capital... Um, before it went to Kyoto and then Tokyo um, hmm. there's just deer everywhere it's, oh, it's cool. less a deer park and more a deer town they just kind of <laughs> roam there's like people selling food that you can give to the deer and the deer are very very friendly and um, insistent <laughs> oh give <Okay>. me food
1: because <laughs> like in Maudlin they're like um, the contain it is like a, like a paddock like it's a oh, big okay. paddock um, but That's there not was a Uh, The guy, T... Is it T.H.? I think it was T.H. Lawrence. No, T.E. Lawrence. He was Lawrence Lawrence. of Arabia. Yeah. Um, He he went to Jesus College, and he was involved in a plot to kidnap one of the deer and bring it back. (laughs) Uh, Because there's college rivalries. There's huge college rivalries. Yeah. Um, uh, Like, that's one. And then there's these traditions that go back, like, hundreds of years. Like, I I can't remember which colleges it is. I think it might be Balliol or Merton, where, uh, like, 400 years ago, Mm -hmm. one of the colleges their student was being chased by a, an angry mob from the town and the other college refused to let him in so the town killed him and oh uh, as, as payment the first college no 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 so the second college would send the first college a cask of wine every year and they still mm-hmm. do it but they poison the wine every year with like like a, a branch of something that's poisonous i can't remember, it, it's one of the colleges i just can't remember which one it is and they, just, they um, still
0: do this like oh yeah years th- later th-
1: th- Oxford is a place that doesn't change quickly. It's huh. it's a thousand year old institution. We don't change lightly. <laughs> well, you know, we um we st- the, one of the other weird things is that we still take our exams in what we call subfusk, which is our okay. like, university robes, basically. So when you do anything official at the university, you wear for guys it's like a it's a black suit with a white bow tie and a robe, and for girls it's like a, a blouse and a, a skirt and a, a robe. Um, really, so and you we, show we up like, on
0: test day in the robes
1: and take the exam? Yeah. So. Everybody, you go in and you look like a horde of people going to like a white tie ball or something. And uh, but the, the, the funny thing is, you have to wear it going into the example. You have mm-hmm. to wear it leaving the example. But in the middle, you can just take it off. You can just like take your really? tie off and yeah. And the funny the funny story was there was a guy who um he could only tie his tie in front of a mirror. So he he went in, fine, took off his tie, did his exam, and wasn't allowed to leave until he t- could tie his bow tie back up. So, oh my gosh are you serious yeah again it's a
0: slow place to change
1: we're big on our, on our traditions so um, on
0: the channel i've talked about how it's like it's good to study in the context of what your exam is going to be like do you ever just put mm. the robes on go study in them i don't i don't
1: remember ever doing that i liked putting them on i always yeah. felt like it was like academic armor like you're getting ready for battle almost yeah kind of like I, I really liked the the act of doing it, but I was I, I never uh, I don't think I ever did that actually. Most that's the other weird thing about so it's not set so out for the sciences. Uh, mm-hmm. We you don't take any exams uh, throughout your year at the sciences you take like six modules and then you take them all at the end of the year. You do like a, a week of exams
0: and you're done. So there's no um, midterms or anything. No.
1: Oh wow. Well, okay. you do you do collections which are like kind of status report exams. Your tutors, if you do really badly, your tutors will be worried and they'll make, they'll make you do extra problems kind of thing. But okay. They don't count. Um, and your first year doesn't count. And then in the sciences, your second, third, and if you're doing one, your fourth year counts towards your final grade. Mm-hmm. In the humanities, you don't, your first year doesn't count. You just have to pass. But then you don't do exams until the end of your degree. And you do all of your modules at once at the end.
0: You wait like four years to do all your exams?
1: Uh, it would be three, three because okay. it's, it's three years. But you get people who have like twenty-four hours of exams in a week. Oh my gosh! Yeah, and and the humanities students. Know if
0: that's really the best way to do it.
1: <laughs> it's not. It's definitely not. I mean, like, there's no point in your life when you're going to be required to do that again. You just have to hold like all of the information you're ever going to know about. Yeah, you know like everything
0: six you learned in the past three years. We're going to have you comprehensively recite all of it right now. Yeah. <laughs> and you know because it's Oxford the syllabus is incredibly intense so it's uh, it's, actually I was curious about that like is it a more difficult university across the board than normal
1: I can only like actually that allows me to go back to what I said before so so the tutorial system is different for humanities right Um, for the humanities basically they have much many more options in terms of the modules they pick, as far as I understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're doing history, for example, you do, like, a set of core modules, but then you can choose. And you, there's, like, a list of modules, and you choose, oh, I'm going to do the essay on post-colonialism in West Africa or something.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: then you don't do your tutorials with someone in your college. You you submit your essays to the person in the university who is an expert on that subject, and they could be anywhere.
0: Really? So y-
1: you get really specialized, like... Um, Really, really specialised, uh, you know, interactions and feedback. Um, and the way that the cheat system works is, you, you know, you write a two thousand word essay, and you're expected to do, I think it's two two thousand word essays every week during term time. Um, and you go through; they'll read it and mark it, give it to you back. But then in the tutorial, you discuss it. And I think Oxford's particularly famous for the humanities. So basically, every pretty much every prime minister in the UK has done either PPE at Oxford which is politics, philosophy and economics or mm-hmm. something similar or gone to Cambridge. Um, you know, it, it, and it, it's got this reputation because you have these like hour-long discussions with world-leading academics yeah. and it just, it gets your thought process, like it, it, it makes you think a lot more, I think, than mm-hmm. if you just get an essay back with a mark, you know. Um, yeah. And, and you know, and then there's all the other advantages like you have the best library in the UK, basically. It's the, it's the biggest UK university library. There's, um, I did actually I re- wrote this down before we started there are
0: 11 million volumes in the university what library yeah we have I think 2 million at the Iowa State Library and I was like this must be the biggest library ever 11 million <laughs> well they are, it's in the
1: Bodleian is the UK deposit legal deposit library so they're entitled to every copy of a book that's published in the UK does they just I get mean, one well I don't know if they, they just they can request one I don't know if they actually do Okay. It's basically like a repository for every form of written word. So they have they have stuff like the Magna Carta, um, uh, Shakespeare's First Folio, like letters from Jane Austen. Like you know, it's a, it's a huge research library. So yeah, you have that that advantage as well being a humanities student, and uh, you know, in the sciences, the same tutorial argument applies. Is this all one Con- building? The Bodleian, no, that's spread across all the college libraries. It's like the 40-odd college libraries. Okay. The department libraries, so there's the, like, the Radcliffe Science Library, which was the one that I'd spent time in. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's the central big buildings like the Bodleian, the new Bodleian, which has just reopened, which has got all their special collections in. The Radcliffe Camera, which has got like, special stuff in as well. So it's like spread out. And they also own a salt mine somewhere, which is filled with books. Uh, that are rare requests so if you, if they don't have a book on hand you can like write on a, a piece of paper and hand it in and then they will fetch it for you and bring it back within like 24 hours or something
0: can i go to this library like without being a you, student
1: you can apply like you can do tours for okay. one thing um and you can also apply for using it under like certain circumstances i think
0: gotcha but I know, like, yeah, you can the go, library at my university in. is open to the public, so you can just oh, okay. go in well, it. Well, I mean,
1: because it's such, like, a huge resource, I guess they have to limit it in gotcha. some way. Okay. Um, but, the, you know, you also get to see it in film because it's they use it for filming. And Oxford generally is, is used for filming all the time. Oh. Like Harry Potter, half of it's in Oxford.
0: If, dude, if I if I come to the UK, let's petition them to let us film in the library. <laughs> oh, we should. <laughs> we well, need to do a video in the bottle, and that, this looks amazing. I mean, my name's known to them. Uh,
1: that's, that's true. I've got contacts. so I might be All able right. to. We might we'll be able to do something.
0: Combine our YouTube powers and uh, your contacts, and we'll we'll get permission to film <laughs> in the Bodleian. That's that's my new goal right there. Bucket list.
1: <laughs> Wait, we should do it. There's the Humphrey Davy. Is, no, not the Humphrey Davy. The no, Duke Humphrey's Library, which is the oldest part, and that's like. From the fourteen hundreds, I think, and that's that's this this like rare books library where anyone any student can go in, but you mm-hmm. can't bring water, and you can't bring pens, you're only allowed to use pencils because the stuff's so fragile. Okay. Uh, they don't want to risk ink getting on it. And then it's basically like the I, they, I think they might have filmed part of the Hogwarts library in there, but it's like the Hogwarts library basically. Yeah. Speaking um, of
0: like super fragile books, I just finished reading a book called The Swerve. Uh, oh yeah, and it's it's about like how the world became modern, and he's kind of talking about like how this. 13th or 15th century uh Italian humanist guy named like Poggio Bracciolini or something found like this old manuscript and like a lot of the book was like kind of talking about like how basically books for the entire middle ages were just locked in dusty monastic libraries falling apart and then it was yeah. going to like yeah basically we had to invent entirely new like new technologies to figure out what these books said because if you touched it it would just crumble into dust essentially
1: (laughs) yeah I can imagine that actually well yeah because you get like the special you do sometimes see people working on really special stuff yeah and and sometimes they're like digitizing it so I remember watching one guy working when I was doing like a problem set this guy was next to me and he had like a uh, it looked like a a three thick pen and he Mm -hmm. was going over this old manuscript and uh, it was a scanner like a small scale scanner but converting it to text as he went and then like updating it oh that's
0: cool yeah uh, they were also so. saying how, like, a lot of times they would just scrape off old manuscripts and write over them. So, like, a lot of things they recovered have been like scholars just painstakingly trying to make out what the scraped off letters were to oh, figure out what yeah. the previous because they they made paper out of calf skin.
1: Yeah, um, vellum.
0: Yeah, yeah, vellum, and because apparently I I, don't, I haven't researched this, but apparently they ran out of. Um, not parchment, but the other material, uh, papyrus or papyrus or Mm. however you... Apparently, like, that wasn't available in the Middle Ages, so it was, like, basically vellum or nothing. Oh, wow. No, I didn't know that. I didn't know
1: that it was that rare a commodity. I knew it was rare, but, like, uh, it it makes... I wonder what what happened in the supply chain then, because by the time of the printing press, paper seemed to be plentiful. So there must
0: have been some change in Europe's, like, supply supply process that enabled that. Yeah, and, I mean, it it might have been, because the printing press was... 1500's I think or something like that 1450 was the
1: Gutenberg printing press
0: okay yeah but I I think it might have been talking about how you know like 900 AD or like uh, you know 500 or something like that where it's just this whole chain of monk copying books and like the you know the book hunters of the 1400's were finding copies of copies of copies uh, Mm. of the original things like they're not other than the Pompeii thing they're not finding the actual things written down by the Romans and Greeks so. Yeah. Which is where these errors creep in. in
1: in well if that's the technological stagnation by people slavishly like following this stuff until mm-hmm. like Francis Bacon came up with the scientific method and yeah people making mistakes well that's like the whole um you know the holy grail argument that it's like San Sangreal as opposed to San Graal actually like, I don't know holy... about that Oh so like the, the, one of the theories for the idea that the holy grail is like a bloodline is that um uh, somebody a monk wrote uh, good, i got to have to get this the right way around now. I think it's San Graal is holy grail. Okay. And then he mistyped it, so it went Sang Real. So holy blood. Okay. Um, and that's and, and people are saying, come on, it's like a it's like a typo. You're basing your entire theory on the fact that there was no autocorrect in like the 900s.
0: <laughs> well the book was talking about how um you know some uh like heads of of monasteries or or humanist book collectors you know they prefer monks who maybe can't even read because then there's no opportunity for them to think about what they're copying and maybe like make a correction or be like oh this needs to be changed the meaning religious purposes or something yeah it's just like no we want people who just copy it entirely verbatim and don't even think about it um, which is why you know one of the reasons why the church the, the catholic church developed such
1: a strong position before the development of the printing press because they're mm-hmm. the ones that held all the information in a completely illiterate world yep um, which is just it's just one of these things that's like you know this is why you don't concentrate power and don't give people the tools to uh, usurp you you've got to have some kind of restoring force I was I was I was um, I read a really interesting book recently called Infinitesimal, which was about the downfall of the Catholic Church and this uh, if like the redistribution of power to the people away from institutions. Okay. Um, which kind of touches on that. I um, know, oh, I did that in my book club video, I have talked about that. I could, I could, I'm so not in touch with what I'm doing on YouTube at the moment. I've got like, so many projects on the go. I think I it's, saw that, yeah. You put that out like a month ago on your YouTube. Yeah, I'm doing another one soon. I've, I read all the Game of Thrones books and um, I'm going to do oh, a review of them. Oh, did you? Yeah, nice. not, not recently, like uh, over the past like 10 months. okay, gotcha. I, I'm I do have a friend who read them all in eight days.
0: Oh my gosh. I mean, I, yeah. I could see it because I went through the last couple of Mistborn books, which are of similar length and, you know, very, a very short period of time. But hmm. that's like wake up, do nothing but read kind of thing.
1: Well, he was, he was a student at <laughs> Cambridge and he, um, he was volunteering over the summer at the Geological Museum. But like that was like six hours a day. Okay. So then he'd just go home and had nothing to do. So he just read. And he's a monster. <laughs> he's he's a reading machine. Yep. Uh, it, like I, I just you know he was the one of these guys that read like the, the last Harry Potter in like four hours because he was just oh, I he had to plow through it.
0: I can't read that quickly. Um, my reading speed increases with my interest though. Like yeah, if I'm hooked be- in, I just zoom through it. But the last few books have been. I mean, I got like this really scientific nutrition book, and I was just like. I must force myself through every page because it's just literally just mountains of data. That's all the book is, basically. <laughs> I, I had that I, I read um uh Paradise Lost by John Milton. Oh and, yeah.
1: And 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 the the interesting thing was, like, it was super good. Like like the, the language is just incomparable. Like mm-hmm. it's like it's just the most beautiful thing you've ever read, but you don't want to read more than, like, two or three pages if yep. you're not, like, a student <laughs> studying it. And, like, the analogy I like to make is it's like, it's like dark chocolate for your brain. Mm-hmm. Like, in small doses, it's just amazing, but if you, someone makes you chow down like a full bar, you're not going to enjoy it. You know, you'd have to really push yeah. yourself to do it.
0: I mean, there are just these things that they are they're, they're so beautiful and elegant, but they're so intellectually challenging that it is fatiguing to try to understand them. You know, it's like intellectual combat you're going to.
1: Yeah, I mean, I have a friend who is actually the smartest guy I've, I've ever met. Who would always have one casual book, like a Game of Thrones or something, and mm-hmm. then one intellectually stimulating book, like a historical novel or yeah, like a, like a popular science account or something. Yeah, um, as like a balance. And that's I, I normally have a few books on the go, but I I, I tend to go through like. Sorry, I just belched. That was disgusting. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I go through, like, basically all them being about the same tone, and then just, like, mm-hmm. the tone shifts slightly. Like, I went through a very... Well, at the moment, I'm going through quite a historical bent. I've, I, just bought, I accidentally bought a huge book on the, the history of the Roman Empire, which I'm going to be reading next uh, after reading this book on infinitesimals. You accidentally um, bought it? I was, in a, I was in an airport, and I had a book <laughs> for the trip. And I was like, "Oh, I really want that. That looks really cool. I could oh, talk yeah. about that on my on my YouTube series."
0: I have done that. <laughs> and see, yeah, that's that's the the dangerous thing about the YouTube channel is like, oh, that that could be a video. That could be a video.
1: All these things, yeah, and are then,
0: videos, and then you leave yourself with very little that you do just for yourself. Oh, I know, dude. It's oh, it, it's terrible. I actually got to the point where I was like, I was burning myself out because everything. My brain would immediately go like, "Oh, how could I? How could I spin that into a video, or how could I spin that into an article, mm. or something?" You know, and yeah, you're right. Like, there's there's no breathing room for just like I'm pursuing this just because I want to do it.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, y- y- they say you know it's it's a very good thing to follow your passions. You should always just do what you're interested in. Mm-hmm. But once you get to the level that we're doing it, where we are, you're working on like five or six different projects, like different strands for whatever it is you're doing. Yeah, it is very tempting. just put everything out there and and in a way you as a person then start to reflect the public image that you've put out there like yes you kind of see yourself as oh i'm the guy that does books and science and singing and basically nothing else and you know you you worryingly find yourself tending towards that yeah Uh, you've got to you've got to break back and kind of reclaim some hours a week just to do stuff that you enjoy
0: Mm -hmm. like i have long conversations about this with my roommate Because, you know, he he went through this whole thing where it's like, you're just trying to craft this image, and you've you've written your Twitter bio, like, that's who you are, right? I even have my hobbies in there. And then you feel this pressure to do that hobby that you said you were going to do instead of just, you know, going to whatever it is you feel like doing.
1: Well, it makes you resist the pull of of complexity and resist personal development because you build time building a brand, and then you want to stick to that brand to maintain consistency. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't allow you to, like... Involve your interest. And, that, and that's something which I've deliberately tried to, like, allow myself to do with my channel. Yeah, it was initially Oxbridge stuff. Now it's, um, like, it was X to, like, PhD stuff. And now it's science stuff and book stuff. I'm going to be, um, I might be doing some movie stuff. I'm moving house soon to a guy who's, like me, is just a colossal film geek. Oh, yeah. Um, and, like, that might be something I'm doing. But, like, I, I don't want to pigeonhole myself. and Because I didn't want, for example, just, just make Oxbridge content for yeah. the rest of my days because I'm interested in more than that, and I don't want to become that guy that only does that on YouTube and like only thinks about making it for YouTube in real life. Because yeah, exactly. You know, to quote mm. to quote John Green, "the the truth resists complexity." I, much as you try, you are not going to fit yourself to that mold of being a one variable defined human being. There are going to be so many things yeah. that define you, and you got to you got to embrace that. Otherwise, you're just going to go mad.
0: Yeah, exactly. It, it seems like your channel is much more just like a this is my life channel, at this point now. Yeah,
1: I, I, the way I market it in my head at the moment is it's it's half an information channel, like basically stuff that I find interesting. Mm-hmm. This is the feature on, you know, the the, the, bit, the bit of science that I'm looking at. Or sometimes I just do things like you know the singing video I did, or I'm going to be doing one coming up on like being vegetarian. You know, like stuff like that but then at the same but they're also having the personal angle so yeah doing vlogs, vlogging when I go on trips like you know my chapel choir is going to Malta on our tour this year, so I'm going to vlog that and you know talk about the books I've been reading or the movies I've been watching like it's a hybrid between the two because I, I, I think that that in a way is the strength of what I've already built and I, that's one thing I don't mind building on is the personal connection yeah as well you know in the same way that you you don't do a CGP gray in that it's just here's the information. This is what you do. Yeah. You yeah. suffuse your personality into it. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's a 50 50. Um, and then through stuff like this, you have the rest of your personality coming through. Um, and, you know, every, all our weird and wonderful traits are allowed
0: to, to like <laughs> seep out on on internet and through our Twitter and whatnot. This is why I, I don't listen to the. There's like one bad review of my podcast on iTunes. And uh, he, the guy doesn't like it because he's like, a lot of the episodes are just rambling conversations with his friends. Um like, the, I did one episode on how to buy a car, and he's just like, you have, like, 20 minutes where you guys are just discussing what a hot rod is and what's not a hot rod. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I get it, but, like, the videos are intentionally crafted to deliver a ton of information in one package, and the podcast is supposed to be meandering conversations, and there are supposed to be episodes that are just kind of, like, not exactly focused on one topic because, I don't know, that's where you kind of, like, have some breathing room.
1: Well, at the, and also at the end of the day, you make the content that you want to make. Yeah, like you're not you're not a slave to public opinion. Yeah, it should inform it, but mm-hmm. you know, somebody if the, if someone wants to just start a YouTube channel, then the best thing they can do is just to make the content that they want to make. Yeah, like otherwise, you're forcing yourself to do stuff you don't want to do. You know, and and that means yeah. you're just gonna stop because you're not gonna want to do
0: it. I wrote. I, I might make a video about this, but I, I don't even know if you noticed this. I didn't make a video for two straight weeks. Yeah, there were two weeks I skipped, Uh, and the reason for that is like the last three videos I did, not counting my vlog, uh, did really well, like uncommonly well. And I was like looking at my analytics, and I was like, oh my gosh, it's it's getting close to a million views in a month for the first time ever. I need to make more videos because views and stats and like you can just lose your values to the numbers and to the external validation factors if you're not careful. And then it killed my creativity. And uh I, I went two full weeks with like, oh, the script's not ready yet. Uh oh the I'm just not feeling creative right now. And you, you gotta have fun doing v- videos. Like you can't do well, it's, creative it's work. Some,
1: it's called second album syndrome, isn't it? well like a band yeah. will make a, a really popular first album uh-huh. and then they sit back and think, What the hell did we do so right? <laughs> like
0: Yeah, and when I was when I was younger, like the sophomore slump baffled me. Because I was like, this band is so good. Why are so many sophomore albums bad? It doesn't make sense. These bands are good. But now it makes total sense to me. It's because you get the validation and then like the reason you're doing what you're doing changes.
1: Yeah. And if you ignored it, if you lived in a bubble where you didn't have any like feedback, if somebody just came to you and said, you should make another one. People liked it. And you, when you, oh, great! I'll do more of the same. <laughs> You've developed as an artist to the point where it's not just the same album, but it's 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 more of what made the first one good. Mm-hmm. Like it's that external validation and feedback can just ruin you. Like,
0: yeah, it, it, and so this is another situation where like the it is a complex thing. You can't boil it down to like one simple <laughs> little aphorism like don't look at stats or do look at stats, because mm. you know I, I I get in these moods where I'm like why can't I just not care about the stats and then effortlessly just kind of like poop out great content and it's like no you, you really <laughs> have to wrestle with it you really have to go back and revise things like it's never there's never like one tip you can take and implement in your life and then make it easy like it's always hard and I think that's the thing I've like that's been drilled in my head so many times like no matter how successful you get no matter how good you get it's always going to be hard it never becomes easy because you have to constantly challenge yourself but I, I think that's actually one of the key
1: lessons of growing up. Mm-hmm. Realizing that. But also, in parallel, realizing that it was like that for everyone else. Yes. And and other people still are really successful and do great things. Other mm-hmm. people do it, that means you can do it too. Yeah, yeah. Like in the same in the same way that when you're growing up you realize that you don't know what you're doing, but people are looking <laughs> at you as an adult and then you realise nobody knows what they're doing. Nope. We are all just like careening through life with no clue. Of what to do next but some people just get good at masking it and now yeah. some I, people I feel are like very I...
0: good at making it look like on the internet they know what they're doing but it's yeah. like you don't see like the 99 percent of my life where I'm, I'm going oh god what's going on i don't know <laughs> i feel like twitter is the antidote to that the fact, the fact that people can see our twitters and that's just being <laughs> like i have
1: no clue what to do with this video like or in my science i'm just like this code is just not working like, Yep. Yeah, or, you know, as, as we found before this, the fact that Ubuntu is just driving me mad and I apparently am been capable of, of you know, what, of, of operating what basically a child could probably do.
0: Can I ask you why you're using Ubuntu? I mean, I, I used it for a while in college, but I gave up <sighs> on it long ago. Because I'm,
1: so, I'm an idiot. Because they, everyone here, when you, when you get to start your PhD, they say, you know, you're going to get a PC because you do a lot of simulations, all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. You need hardware. And they said, oh, what operating system do you want? Most people here use Scientific Linux. So I was like, oh, that's great. I'll have Scientific Linux. That means I can learn it. It's another feather in my cap. Mm-hmm. I should have just asked for Windows because I know how <laughs> Windows works. Yeah. And then with my laptop, I was like, oh, Scientific Linux is a bit weird. It's not really like any other distribution. It's really like bizarre. Mm-hmm. Uh, for my laptop, I'll stick with Linux, but I'll get Ubuntu
0: should have uh, just asked for
1: windows because i know how windows works.
0: Yeah. Well, do you even have do you still use windows at all then?
1: Yeah, my home PC. Um, is that where you edit all your video on?
0: Yeah. Cuz I was got gonna a say tower. like there's no Adobe suite for Ubuntu, you know. There's There is not. So that's like that's the big thing. I could never use Linux again in my life because uh, there's no Adobe mm. and that's where i spend like 90% of my time now. Uh, I mean, I, like use, like I use I use Sony Vegas,
1: and I, ima- I can't imagine that they'd have Ubuntu support. I don't think so. You know, anything that I can I can use Audacity, and I can use GIMP, so I can make podcasts mm-hmm. and do cool artwork for it, and <laughs> that's about it.
0: Yeah, but not not so much for the videos. I mean, I'm sure there's a video editor out there for Linux, but
1: oh yeah, but it's gonna it be it be one of those crappy ones that's yeah. like freeware, and uh, you know it does all <laughs> the, it has all the capabilities, but it's just shit. <laughs> like,
0: yep. It's and it's, honestly, like the the complexity of the stuff I make now couldn't switch yeah just because of the the uh, motion graphics stuff
1: yeah i mean that's that's actually what's encari- making me think of switching and like learning either like either adobe or um final cut just to
0: well you don't use wait. a mac do you or is
1: your laptop no but no no no, no. I, use, I use windows but my um oh yeah which means i'm limited to adobe anyway yeah there's no final um, cut
0: for you the your options would be like hit film which is good uh or adobe which is amazing, yeah. but expensive.
1: Well, I can get a student license. This that is, the is thing. nice. The student
0: I, I, thing is amazing.
1: But, but I, I'd have to learn how to do everything from scratch. And so I'm so sure you're a PhD take long.
0: now. How much longer do you have?
1: Uh, <laughs> um, I actually had a really cool meeting about this today with my supervisors. Uh, I, I, haven't, I have to finish by the end of September next year. Oh. So I have about, well, let's call it a bit over a year. Okay. I'm aiming to submit in pretty much a year. So I have a bit gotcha. of a buffer room because um, the way it works is you write this um, you write this huge document that's a thesis that's like two hundred pages long mm-hmm. with all the stuff that you've done over the past couple of years, which realistically means all the stuff you've done over the past year because the first three years were you learning how to do that stuff. Yeah. Um, and then you submit, and then you have a viva, which is an oral examination with an expert in the field and someone from university who's like a referee basically. Okay. Um, and. And that can range from being like two hours long to being seven hours long. Um, oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's pretty, it, it can be pretty intense. Um, but then, yeah, so, so it's, there's no formal like written exam or anything. Yeah. Um, and at the moment, I'm at the stage where I'm writing my background chapter. So all the uh-huh. stuff that um, has come before, all the, the mathematical theory that I'm using. And then I've got a structure for what I'm going to be doing in terms of the new theory, which we've developed, and the results which we're testing. Uh, and then there's big blanks in that where results are going to go that we haven't got yet, and also where the theory's going to go that I haven't derived yet, but yeah. I know what I'm going to do, I just need to do it.
0: Okay, so I, I think we talked a little bit about it in the intro when we went our, on our comic tangent, but what exactly is your PhD <laughs> about? Because you you undergrad majored in physics, right? Oh, that's
1: another point. Actually, there's two points to that- Oh, boy. I'm going I'm <laughs> to
0: close the loop first.
1: Right. You asked me if Oxford is a higher level than other universities. I'm going to say yes. Compared to X to physics, for example, I mean, there's nowhere else in the world, as far as I know, that does general relativity in the third year of undergraduate. That's at Oxford. And okay. the problems that they do in fourth year here are, like, comparable to the lower-end problems we did in third year, in relativity, at least. It's probably different in other subjects, but
0: okay. so uh, in humanities, kind of you've got the resources.
1: So? So Oxford's kind of accelerated, then? Yeah, you just, you come out with more. You just, um, you know, a
0: degree from Oxbridge is generally speaking worth more than a degree with the same mark from another university. So why do they call it Oxbridge? Like, are Oxford and Cambridge like sister universities or or what makes them kind of together?
1: uh, They both have, they're both collegiate, as in they both have colleges. They Mm -hmm. both have the same tutorial system. They're both very old. They both represent the same like position in the social order that I mentioned earlier. Um, They're not linked formally other than in, you know, like research arrangements, for like, you know, like Bletchley Park where they did the cracking of the Enigma code, that was an Oxford and Cambridge collaboration with, with other people. Okay. It was mainly those two. Yeah, um, and they're actually mortal enemies, Oxford and Cambridge. Like the, the Oxbridge rivalry is huge. <laughs> yeah, um, like the boat race, for example. Um, but uh, yeah, so it's Oxbridge just to link them. And then there's also Durham, and they Durham likes to use the term Doxbridge to try and sneak themselves <laughs> in there, but uh, most people don't use that. Um, so, yeah, uh, yeah, and then you made the point about majoring. The other thing which is different in UK universities generally to American universities is we don't major in minor. You pick oh. a subject at the start of, of, of university, and that's all you do. So from day one at Oxford to the last day, I just did physics and the maths associated with it. So you didn't so, have gen eds? No. I, um, like, oh. my first year modules were... Like vectors and calculus, multivariate—sorry, um, vectors and matrices, multivariate calculus, complex analysis, uh, mechanics, special relativity, electrostatics, circuits, and I think there's another one. That I'm forgetting. Um, like you, there's there's and it's it's just hardcore all the way. So four years of that means you're going to be at a much further position than four years at an American university because you don't, you know, you've specialized basically from the word go. Yeah. You spent the same number of hours but specialized much more. Um, so yeah we don't don't major I I, I just did physics
0: now is that a Oxbridge specific thing or is that a UK thing that's UK all over apart from
1: a few degree programs we have like liberal arts and you can can choose because that Uh, kind of seems like
0: the thing here in America if you're not going to like a trade school or community college like the liberal arts concept is ubiquitous yeah I can't think of many places that don't do that
1: there is a Cambridge has an interesting caveat which is they do instead of doing biology, chemistry, physics, and they just do one degree called natural sciences, mm-hmm. um, where in first year you do everything, but then you specialize into your chosen subject as you go. Okay. So you could start with natural scientists. I've got a very good friend who did uh, geology as part of natural sciences, and he, he's now doing a PhD in geology. You know, there was a, or you could do it and specialize in theoretical physics. They, they do separate the biologists, I think, slightly, but it's, you know, that's, that's kind of like the American system. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's basically, it is the, basically the same everywhere. Although it, you do end up sometimes specializing within a subject. So my girlfriend, for example, she's a modern languages student in French and Spanish. Gotcha. Um, okay. I, in my undergraduate, specialized in theoretical ap- and atmospheric physics. Okay. So, but my program title, like my degree, is Master of Physics and Phys. There's no, you know, major to, associated with it.
0: So when you graduated from Oxford, you were a master in physics.
1: Yeah, because I did a a four-year course, so an integrated Mm -hmm. master's. Most people would do a three-year course, and then you apply for like a one- or a two-year master's, which is I think is more similar to what you guys have.
0: Yeah, we do generally four years of undergraduate, where you'd have your bachelor's of science. Then you'd go do a master's, which is one or two years. And then you'd go do a PhD program. And then after that, you can do a postdoc if you want. So so you did four years at Oxford and then you went straight to Exeter for a PhD?
1: Yep. Okay. Um I I've just sailed straight through. I didn't
0: want to waste any time uh, yeah. getting
1: getting that degree. Um and then So what's so, your
0: PhD experience like?
1: Oh uh, well you first asked me what it was on. We should probably Okay,
0: yeah.
1: you keep bounding fours and I'm like, Tom, I'm dragging you back by like the bottom of your trousers. I'm like, like, like an like, eight-point
0: Tom. processor. I'm opening on lots of threads here.
1: Yeah, uh, which is no <laughs> bad thing. No bad thing. So my project is it's on atmospheric physics. Okay. I, I, I'll do like I'll do like the zooming in approach. It's on atmospheric mm-hmm. physics. I am looking at dynamics, which is how uh, like explaining how air moves around, mm-hmm. rather than like statistically looking at weather patterns. Uh, it's looking at the middle atmosphere, so the stratosphere, which is the layer of the atmosphere between 10 and 50 kilometers. And to be re- to really drill in exactly what I'm doing, I'm looking at how what happens in that layer. There's basically a big spinny t- like doughnut of air over the North Pole in winter. It's called the Polar Vortex. Okay. And when that is very strong, so like there's a really, really set, strong set of winds, or when it's very, very weak, sometimes it just disappears. I'm looking at how that, those events affect the weather at the surface and in the troposphere, which is the layer below it that we live in.
0: Okay. That is pretty specific. Yeah. So, well, to be more specific,
1: um, to be be more specific, I'm I'm looking at um, testing a particular hypothesis which my supervisor had, which I formulated in terms of uh, quasi geostrophic potential vorticity theory, and then I'm testing it through a a hierarchy of differently uh, of, of complex models, basically.
0: Okay, gotcha. This is the point where my brain explodes.
1: <laughs> well, this is the, this is that space that's almost as far as I've got. Like, there's there's all the mathematical detail I could show you, but um, like that's in, conceptually that's as far as we've got, and I don't have an answer about how well it performs yet because yeah, my bloody code isn't working, and it's really annoying me. It's Ubuntu's
0: fault, actually. You no, just gotta, if you Python's switch to fault. Windows. Uh, okay, it's Python's fault.
1: <laughs> it's I, I'm I'm running um, oh oh boy um. Uh, I actually did a vi- I mentioned this, I have a series called PhD Watch where I talk about what, what I'm doing in mm-hmm. the PhD, and um, the analogy that I have, and I'm going to convert this because you're American, um, is imagine that in the atmosphere, you can think of wind as being like a variable that's everywhere, like you have a value of wind that's set to a particular point, point. Yeah. and that's a field. You can think of the distribution of wind as being like the distribution of football players on a gridiron. Okay. Okay. Um, And associated with the football players, you've got the position of the football um, and like the position of the football players determines where the football is because the football player has thrown it. Someone's receiving it. Someone's running with it in the atmosphere. The wind determines strictly speaking by how basically how twisty it is. It defines a variable called potential vorticity and that's like the football in the atmosphere. Okay. What I'm doing in terms of the code is imagine that you just have a blank gridiron and you plonk a, a football down. You try and invert the position of the football to give you the position of the players. Okay. So you'd need like the position of the ball, maybe the speed of the ball, maybe like what, um, who's defending, who's a t- who's an offense, um, maybe which teams playing, so you know what formation they're likely to be in, mm-hmm. and then that's enough information to specify uniquely. Say, in the atmosphere. If you know the distribution of potential vorticity and you know the boundary conditions of what's happening at the surface and if you're doing it what's happening at the very top you can determine what the wind's doing and that's basically what my code's doing it's reading okay. in a potential vorticity distribution and it's spitting out a wind
0: gotcha so it, it sounds it, like this is like the weather version of ballistics it's like let's let's dig this bullet out of the wall and and use it to determine exactly like where everyone was in the room and like
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. exactly. Yeah, yeah, kind of like that. It's okay. it's, it's an inversion problem, yeah. um, and the problem is it's not working <laughs> because <laughs> it's it's quite complicated. It's like it's about six hundred lines of Python code, and I'm pretty sure there's one variable that's screwing it up, or a composite of variables. And you're just gonna
0: you're you're gonna spend like ten hours trying to debug it, and then you're, it's just gonna be a semicolon. Probably. Except for Python doesn't even use semicolons, does it?
1: No, it's uh, it's one of these things where like. You have these atmospheric variables that are defined and you think of them as being smooth mm. like very smoothly varying in height but often they're not and like there's a jump and i think what's happening oh, is okay. there's an instability in like the vertical profile which is what happens when say you have like a jump in the density the program thinks that the density is like a little bit bigger than it should be at one point mm. and then that that'll cause like an error that then grows and grows throughout the vertical oh, okay um, and yeah I'll find it because I've got to find it or I won't graduate <laughs> but, um, but that's what I'm working on at the moment basically so yeah the short answer is i'm 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 writing a lot of computer code and doing a bunch of equations to try and determine how weather in the middle atmosphere over the North pole affects surface weather because okay. it does it's 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 a problem that like depending on what the vortex is doing, you can see storms going further north or south mm-hmm. um you can get like the massive outbreak of cold air that was in like twenty eleven over America was it you know there was the year when like all of America was covered in snow for a, for like a week. Okay, yeah. Like that was a that was because there was a very weak polar vortex and loads of cold air spilled downwards. Interesting. Um, okay. So that, that's the kind of event that like I'm trying to help predict, basically.
0: Interesting. Okay. So, what does it translate to in terms of like a day to day experience? Do you take any classes as a PhD, or is it almost like a job? Uh,
1: uh, it's basically like a job. I mean, at Exeter, we have to do 100 hours of taught programs, basically just as development for ourselves. So you take, I took like a class on string theory and I took a class on statistics and dynamical flows and stuff like that. But that's like, that's a very small part uh, mm-hmm. of what we do. Um, on a day to day existence, I get in, I try and get in before nine. Um, I have a desk. I'm in my office at the moment. I mm-hmm. realize that the, it's a podcast, so you can hear my office, but you can't <laughs> see it. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, basically we're at 9 till, well, no- nominally 5. Um, I had a conference recently where I was consistently leaving here at about 10 and, and cycling home. So you are like, so, doing
0: 13 hours a day? Uh, yeah. And then the I, I
1: the, it was, like, the month in the run-up to the conference. I think I took, like, three days off in okay. total like you know like working weekends yeah um so and then i took some time off like i went to i had a really nice holiday in france just afterwards because it's plexi time like i can just take time off whenever i want as long as i don't have a commitment or something and as long as i get the work done right you know i don't have to be here for a certain number of hours um but yeah i'm basically here at my desk i've got my laptop which i um write code on i also have my desktop which is more powerful for running stuff um like simulations for verifying code yeah um and then I, we also have a cluster here that I can SSH into and, and run scripts on.
0: And then, dude, I clusters also... are amazing. Hmm? <laughs> During my freshman year, we had access to a cluster, like a supercomputer, basically. Uh, hmm. And I had a little netbook. And I would just SSH into remote um, on the cluster and basically turn my netbook into like a super powerful desktop that was only held back <laughs> by Wi Fi speed. It was amazing. Oh. <laughs>
1: No, I, I actually. Funny story. Uh, I, I did, when I was doing my master's project at Oxford, I crashed the entire Oxford atmospheric physics computer <laughs> network. I overloaded one of their. Um, uh, they had a bunch of supercomputers that were called like Cirrus One, Cirrus Two, Cirrus Three, mm-hmm. and I put so much load on Cirrus Three that they had these graphs that you could access in browser, showing you know usage, so you could pick which one you wanted to use. Yeah. And, all of a sudden, they just all flatlined, and then everybody's <laughs> computers, everyone in the entire building's computer froze and then crashed. Oh, my and, gosh. <laughs> and I just, I, I, I just closed the lid and walked out, <laughs> and I didn't come back for the next day. <laughs> uh, it wasn't that wasn't me. That, that, I was just stupidly trying to run, like, a huge matrix inversion, like as part of my, my, my project and I just didn't think about how big it was and I killed it
0: happens I, to I, all I, of <laughs> us man happens to all of us it's all, yeah, at
1: some point in <laughs> our life it's going to happen to you dear listener you are going to yeah. have to invert a huge matrix in MATLAB
0: I accidentally inverted a huge matrix last week
1: yeah it does it's so embarrassing when it happens in public it's, yeah um, so yeah then, and then so that, that's like the coding side of things mm-hmm. um, I work in R and Python I might be doing a bit of work in Fortran which is a bit scary
0: that's an older um, language dang
1: Yeah, like, um, it's what a lot of the, like, the Met Office, for example, like, the huge, huge, like, climate models are written in Fortran because it's, like, 0.5% faster. But when you're dealing with such big data sets and, like, such expensive stuff, it's worth it. Yeah. Um, And then I also work analytically. So um, I have logbooks. I'm on logbook number four now, these quite chunky uh, books. And then there's also just, like, pages of working... Uh, places, where you sit down with your basic equations and try and work out results, which you mm-hmm. then can test using your code. And then um, the other big part of it is reading papers. So you've, got a, you've gone beyond the point when you're doing a PhD, beyond the first year of the PhD, where textbooks are your be-all and end-all. Yeah. There is a, an almighty textbook, which is actually written by a guy here, a guy called Jeff Ballas, who he, like just wrote the textbook on atmospheric dynamics. Um, that's useful, but then I have a pile next to me of about like 20, 30 papers. Um, that are super super specific on this, you know, like the vortex does this versus the vortex does this. This is what happens at the surface, right? And then you know, it's like twenty pages on the maths and the the analysis of that. Um, so it's yeah, it's like a it's like a three pronged dragon. It's the it's the coding, it's the 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 maths side of things, and then there's the uh, the, the reading. And then in terms of student life, um, it's it's kind of for me it's a lot better than undergrad because i'm not stressed all the time like at oxford i, I worked way too hard i worked myself into the ground yeah and um well it was I, kind of you know,
0: seeming like like my my uh initial thought was that phd would be super involved and even harder but it's kind of sounding like it's almost like full-time job hours
1: it's but yeah if you treat it like a full-time job you'll be fine you'll graduate on time no problem mm-hmm. um if you're super into what you do and also if you do things like experiments that are time dependent like if you need to come in and if you're in biology you need to feed fish, Count then you have to come in at random hours. Um, like Yeah, it's a bunch of flies, Sally. <laughs> um, I'm so glad I'm doing stuff with code. Code's the same everywhere at whatever time. Um, Maybe you can do it at all. yeah, it's like, you know, at Oxford, especially when I was doing YouTube stuff at Oxford, I'd, I'd like, work before 9 until 10, mm-hmm. and then I'd edit from, like, 10 until 2 or 3, and then get up for 9 o'clock lectures. Yeah. Like, it was crazy. And now here I... <laughs> here I work from 9 till 5 then edit from like 6 until 12 and then go to sleep you uh, mean so edit video it's a bit video? more reasonable yeah uh, edit video or, or the other big thing I do is I, I sing in the University Chapel Choir so mm-hmm. we sing every week and there's rehearsals for that practice I also do a lot of social media for that um, so at the moment we've got our debut CD coming out I'm doing the artwork for that that's a lot of work um, and then also like you know I do contract video work for other people yeah. Um uh Collaborations with other people, you know, stuff like that. And then occasionally I let myself watch a,
0: a movie or, occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> or
1: stuff. I, I, I do. Like uh, I def- tomorrow.
0: I, or wait, like today. tomorrow. Well, I'm going tomorrow, but.
1: Oh, has it not come out yet for you?
0: Uh, You're talking today, Civil War. Today's the release day, but okay. I'm going tomorrow. Because. I was in- did you, oh, did you already go? Did you go at midnight? No, no, no. I was in
1: France when it came out. And so all my mates went at midnight. Oh, okay. I'm now waiting for somebody to come and see it. with. Although I did go and see The Jungle Book the other day on my own. No, no, not The Jungle Book. Uh, Zoo, Zootropolis I went to see on my own.
0: Zootopia which, is so good.
1: Yeah, I loved it. I love it. Uh, and The Jungle Book. I really, really liked that, actually. I was quite surprised. So wait, were held, you in held
0: France yesterday?
1: On. No, it came out here um, last Thursday. Really? Yeah, oh, for some yeah. reason
0: we get some movies way sooner than other people. Well, that's fun. Yeah, today's the release day here. So, um, there's a new theater. that's like 20 minute drive from me, and it's reserve seating. They're like cushy recliners, and you can oh. you can like order beer or like a latte. So I don't go to any other theater ever. Well, again. we have a campus. <laughs> um, we have a campus cinema here, which is run by students.
1: Oh, sweet. Um, yeah, and it's uh, and it's not a huge cinema. It's like a smaller screen you know Mm -hmm. like screen room um but because it's students you get really cool stuff and if you're a member you're it's one pound 50 to see a film holy crap yeah they they only show two films a week but it's just it's such good value that i now struggle to justify going and spending you know 10 pounds on a ticket at the odeon yeah
0: at iowa state they had what they called cyclone cinema which Mm -hmm. it wasn't current movies but they did get movies before they came out on dvd so if you wanted to okay, you yeah. could wait and it was free actually so that oh, was wow. that was a pretty cool setup but not a student anymore can't go to cyclone cinema and can't I'd, wait for civil war i oh, I, can't, I, can't wait for I loved
1: the winter Soldier so much and like the russo brothers everything they touched just seems to turn to gold
0: yeah and- we watched it on monday I was like, I got, I gotta watch it again to prepare. <laughs> My body is now ready. <laughs> Actually, no, because I need to see that, and I need to see a
1: film called Eye in the Sky, which I don't know if it'll be out in America yet.
0: I haven't even heard all. of that one.
1: It's some, um, it was, it's interesting historically because it's Alan Rickman's last film, but it's oh. um, it's about drone op, a drone operator played by Aaron Poole Okay. Um, and like the ethics of drone warfare. Yeah. Um, and it just looks really interesting. Like, there's just a spate of good stuff at the moment. Uh. Like yeah, the Zootrop is because Zootopia used Zootropolis for us. They changed the name for some reason. Oh, okay. Um,
0: I was wondering why you said Zootropolis.
1: Yeah, it's um. I, I remember a Reddit thread where someone was like, "Why'd you call it Zootropolis?" And it's this British girl, "That's just what that's what it's called."
0: <laughs> like, huh. Um, I, I've heard that uh, Captain America is called just the First Avenger in other countries.
1: I think we had Captain America colon the First Avenger.
0: That's what it is here. But I've heard in okay. some countries they just cut the Captain America and just it's the First Avenger. I, don't know, kind of I don't know what countries, but yeah. Okay. But um,
1: yeah, so yeah, there's a, there's a lot of good stuff out at the moment. Like this is this isn't before this is before the big blockbuster season in the summer, like mm-hmm. Star Trek Independence Day, that kind of stuff. Which I do want to. I'm going to hopefully do videos on the science behind that, which would be really cool, like how to build a warp drive and stuff. That'd like be that. cool. Um, and then you have got the Hyper Prime now slot in like December with like where Star Wars is released and all that kind of stuff. Hmm. Um, yeah like this is this is a nice period this is this isn't academy bait and it's not blockbuster it's just kind of good a but not but not triple a titles
0: yeah this is a good time of year for films i like it i'm just i'm hoping civil war is good i'm very confident that it will be but uh i was very let down by batman v superman so
1: i didn't even bother going to see it Uh, all my friends went to see it and and hated it yeah
0: yeah it's not uh, i was so sad i was like because i like man of steel I you know. oh, really, you're one, of the, you're one of the only people I've heard say that. It's not a great movie, but I think it has some of the best action sequences I've ever okay. seen. Like it, you know, it's like the choreography isn't anything amazing, but it's it's, uh, what's his name, Zack Snyder. It's Zack Snyder. Yeah, he, he knows how to make cool action. That's the I only love- reason I like his other movie. Uh, That's the problem, Zack Snyder.
1: Oh, what Sucker Punch.
0: Yeah. Sucker so, Punch well, has a horrible theatrical cut, but its director's cut is a little better. Um, they definitely cut like all the important things in the theatrical cut. It's oh, not okay. a great movie, but it's it's if you want some cool action and and music and sound design, like it's really cool. So. It's a film I steer clear of because
1: it just seemed to be so obviously hypersexualized towards like teenage boys. And I know that he claims it's a feminist film, but I, I, I personally don't buy that argument in the slightest. Um, Three hundred is a great film. And I love Three Hundred. A much cleverer film than people give it credit for. And mm-hmm. um, I haven't seen Watchmen, but I love the graphic novel, and it seems to be like a shot-for-shot make, like make apart from the Doctor Manhattan switcheroo
0: at the end. Um, I have Watchmen on my shelf back there. I've, I love Watchmen. I think the ending they replaced is actually better. So it makes more sense, I think. Like mm-hmm. Aliens,
1: like. Mm,
0: yeah, yeah. It, it's, um, it, it's yeah. better, I think, in the film. Now, people will probably oh. roast me for that. That's fine, but I like it. Fight yeah. us in the comments. Uh,
1: yes. But no, <laughs> Zack Snyder knows how to make great trailers. I actually, just before watching this, I just, sorry, doing this, I watched the Man of Steel trailer because mm-hmm. every trailer for a Zack Snyder film, apart from Sucker Punch, I'd argue, looks amazing. Yeah. Like, apart from the, and also the first Batman versus Superman trailer, that looked trash. But he knows how to, like, make something catchy in the same way, but... That doesn't mean it's gonna be a good film, in the same way that you wouldn't take a Vine star and
0: have them make a feature-length film. That's that's the thing. And I don't know if you've ever watched Tim and Eric, but I love the Tim and Eric TV show because it's it's so ridiculous and over the top and this weird humor. But the movie I can't stand. Because it's like too much of a good thing. It's eating too many Skittles, basically. (laughs) And that is what Batman vs. Superman is. It's like this disjointed, like, let's shoehorn three different you know, incredibly complex comic book stories into one movie and then let the man who has really no interest in properly representing those movies direct it and just basically do his own vision.
1: Yeah. And, it's, and then, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's different from Marvel. It's got that going for it.
0: Um, they're not, they're <laughs> if you're we're, we're not going to talk about anything else academic.
1: No, yeah, well, we kind <laughs> of, I feel like we closed basically all the loops actually that, that you have opened. I think we we've, did. We've, we, We've done the, the Bruce Willis, Jason gordon Levitt of uh of like of sealing ourselves off. <laughs> we did. That was a good movie. Oh now I that love and he's the guy who's directing Rogue uh Rogue One. The oh, new is Star he? Wars episode. Yeah. Oh nice. Okay, that's awesome. And the trailer for that looks amazing. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm a big fan of that. Uh I'm Star Wars is like the film property that I feel the most attached to. hmm um, because it was one of the – th- everyone has a transformative experience, I think, if you see it at an early enough age. And, yeah, I luckily and I, saw that early. Yeah, I saw it at age – I think I was seven. My mum brought home, like, the special edition box set, which had Darth Vader on the side. Oh, yeah. And um, Which is a shame because that meant that I saw Greedo shooting first.
0: Oh, yeah. But My even now, even I'm, like, tapes.
1: I, I'm just, like, no, that's stupid. Of course Han would shoot first, mm-hmm. you know. Like, although I know that it, it's good in the sense that you know they've cleaned up the print and there's a few good edits there's the terrible edit where when Luke falls from the spire in Bespin and in the original theatrical cut he just falls because it's a sense of I'm just I'm, I can't do I can't even and then just let's go mm-hmm. whereas I'm going to have to step back for this but you know in, in like the special edition he, he lets go and there's like half a second of pause and then you hear Mark Hamill just going Ah, <laughs> <laughs> and it's like did he fall like it, it, is it because is it he's only holding on with one hand like it's, yeah. it, it's a terrible
0: edit they've done um, some really bad edits yeah. I, I hated how they edited in uh, Jabba the Hut in the first movie oh yeah they, they should they, yeah, you
1: know in yeah. the original
0: cut it's just, a, it's just like a henchman yeah
1: so there's good. no need but yeah, yeah Star Wars I, I'm very attached to it I'm very attached to the special effects side of it and mm-hmm. the sound design side of it because I get ripped by this so much by my friends but like I, I really notice sound design in movies and Star Wars is just like
0: that's, that's, that's the real stuff yeah you know, Ben Burt dude that's that's what YouTube did to me it made me start noticing like how they do things I start like looking into visual effects and like I, I think I know how they did that and I remember when I was watching Star Wars The Force uh, Awakens for the second time um, I found myself like unconsciously counting cuts like in the action oh. sequences. I was like, oh, there's a cut there, there's a cut there. And then I would notice like, they didn't cut for like a good 20 seconds in this action sequence, like this is a really cool shot. Uh, I think mm. it's the one where, I don't remember the pilot guy's name, but they kind of, they're coming in uh, over the water. Yeah, yeah, Foe Damry's like, him and the squadron are coming in over the water and then like, they zoom yeah, over yeah, the big yeah. battlefield. They don't cut for like a good 20 seconds uh, on that shot. And it's just really cool.
1: Well, that's that amazing looping shot where, you know, you follow him yeah. Just like being a badass and, and taking out all these TIE fighters. And, and they say, oh, yeah. That's one hell of a pilot. And then you <laughs> cut to him. And it's like, Yeah. Yeah. I suppose I subconsciously do that. I more notice cinematography mm-hmm. these days. I, I watch a lot of cinematography based channels um, to the point where I'm like, I get a, a thing pop up in my subscriptions and I'm like, Oh, which one's this? Like, Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. so that, you know, it's, it's every frame of painting. Yeah. um Like that channel, Chriswell, Now You See It, Digging Deeper. There's so many good channels about like, the visual mm-hmm. aspect of filmmaking that now, like, there's this there's the shot in the Force Awakens where they're on the bridge, yeah. And Kylo Ren's there and he's got the light from the star illuminating the bridge, yeah. And then as he makes his decision, the light goes out. And I was just in the cinema like, oh, like,
0: it's <laughs> beautiful. Oh, I remember oh, the first time I saw that scene, I was like, this this is beautiful, just yeah. uh, set design and how, and the how, how many and times
1: things. do you, have you seen it? Do you think
0: two or three?
1: Oh, okay, okay. I saw it in in
0: IMAX first, which was sort of cool. But IMAX is always a bit of a toss-up for me, just Mm. because the screen's so big; like, you're it can be kind of overwhelming. And then I think I saw it twice in normal cinema. Okay,
1: yeah, because I saw it thanks to you. I actually saw it in in 3D IMAX. For those of you that don't know, I went to a conference in San Francisco and uh tom you americans don't like people from other countries buying your cinema (laughs) tickets so tom had to buy them for me and then i had to reimburse them so uh i got to see star wars on midnight which is great yeah um so i'm forever in your debt for that yeah
0: it was very (laughs) selfless the video Um, you made was so funny (laughs) it's like the clouds (gasps) oh yeah i forgot i did that i was laughing so
1: hard (laughs) Uh, and then uh, what I love is the fact that people were trying to guess what the music was as well. And I was like, this is the, two, this, like, the, the like, YouTuber side of things. And then I've got like, my little music like homies that are trying to guess the choral, uh, yeah. <laughs> choral stuff. <laughs> um, so I saw it in IMAX 3D. Mm-hmm. And then I saw it with my parents uh, in normal. And then I saw it here again in normal. And then I might be seeing it for a fourth time. They're doing an outdoor screening at a pub in the evening uh, this summer. Oh, and then I bought fun. it on... Yeah, there's um, there's, um, there's a really lush pub, uh, like about a half-hour walk outside of Exeter. It's kind of in the middle of nowhere, but they have a huge grounds. They put up a massive screen. They do outdoor screenings of films. Yeah. Um, So I might see it there. And then I've also bought it on Google Movies. So I've watched it and – actually, no, I haven't watched it all the way through. I've watched Selected Bits, and I've watched all the special features because yeah. they're amazing.
0: Well, there you go, man. Star Wars. Bit nerds. of a fan. That is what we are. <laughs> Yeah, not as not we're not as nerdy as the Hello Internet people, but like I don't Brady, know. I think we're giving them a pretty decent run for their money. We haven't yet set up a charity screening of Star Wars at a zoo with the guy who played Darth Vader in attendance yet. So once we can do that, or we got we got to do the, the new which, school which version. Which episode was that? I missed that one. You missed it?
1: Yeah, I think I skipped like five episodes in the middle. Oh, okay,
0: maybe. I started at the beginning and I, I I listened to everything all the way through, and yeah, for, at one point they they did this they i think brady like had gotten it set up with the director of the bristol zoo i think um oh so it was david they, Prowse they, who was yeah had david Vader. Prowse there yeah. yeah so basically they set up this event they they auctioned off tickets to the hello internet audience like people flew in from like india to go Jeez. watch star wars with david Prowse at the at the zoo so oh,
1: that's my hometown bristol is where i'm from actually so that, oh that, really
0: that i shouldn't be surprised by how awesome it is yep yeah, so they're they're pretty nerdy with their Star Wars stuff.
1: Yeah, true. <laughs> we need to do something similar. Well, we, we need to think of a massive geeky project to to get the gears going. We'll Except I, I, I have enough projects as it is. I've got I, I actually had to write a list the other day of all the stuff that's going on because I completely lost track of everything.
0: We'll um, let you graduate so you can finish your two hundred page uh, dissertation thing and your in your code, and then we'll figure out some real nerdy thing. Yeah, I mean well, b- I think- besides the video in the library because I want to do that now.
1: Oh, oh yeah, be the coolest well, uh, thing ever. Once we know you're coming, we'll pull some strings and we'll get that done for sure. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, you think we should wrap it here? We've been going for
0: ninety minutes, and I think probably only my mum is listening now. Yeah, at that so. point, I'll probably I'm going to put something in the intro. Be like, all right, here's the, the like twenty five minutes to like fifty minutes is where the stuff is. Other than that, <laughs> Star Wars, Pokemon. You know, yeah, we we
1: covered a lot of the big nerdy bases in this. I feel we really did
0: nailed our colors to the mast. So now for a two-hour discussion on D &D. and D. Ah, finally! I was waiting (laughs) for you to say this. No, no, stop! I've I've got to film a video at some point tonight. (laughs) All right, dude. Yeah, actually, we uh, Martin and I have to wrap up an episode because we um, spoilers for anybody still listening. Next week's episode is going to be the start of our how to get into college series. Ooh! We were going to do one episode on it, and then I sat down this uh, this morning to write the outline, and I was like, I can't fit this in one episode. We're going to do three. So we're, we're pulling a Hobbit on that one. Oh, <laughs> oh no. No, what are you doing?
1: <laughs> Don't be the next George Lucas. Oh.
0: I'm the George Lucas of college podcasts. Oh, that again, is not a thing to be proud of. There's nobody else doing college podcasts, so... Oh, but is this whatever. the only one? Is this well, a okay. only exclusive? It's not the only college podcast, but most of the other active college podcasts out there are um, kind of focused on parents. Uh, like a lot of them don't like speak directly to the student, um, and and most of them that are sizable kind of focus on the getting in and the prep aspect. There's not a whole lot that do like the university experience and the studying and all that in the podcast realm. I and anticipate that, that will that change. change.
1: Huh? And that's just yeah, as you said, that's something that's missing from from the discourse. It's well, it's one of the reasons why I started doing what I did on YouTube because, mm-hmm. you know, apart from all the, the social factors and everything I talked about before, like you get prospectuses and websites that tell you, you know, this is this is what you're going to be doing. There are these resources, these buildings, whatever. There's nothing that actually tells you what your life is going to be like on a day to day basis. Yeah. And that's why I started doing. I just vlogged every week because mm-hmm. I think that's the most impressive. the, the most um, effective way of communicating to people that look, this is a normal place. Well, it's not a normal place, but like the people here are normal. You don't have to speak Latin all the time. It's just basically like any university, it's just a bit weird. Yeah. Um, and that, that boots on the ground perspective is something that I'm really big on. And, you know, I carried that on with the Oxblog project, the YouTube channel that's a collaborative project between Oxford students.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, and, yeah, and, like I, uh, Jake Wright's channel, are both like r- just really good kind of perspectives.
1: I think they're necessary perspectives, honestly, because yeah. it's still it, it's, it's ongoing, it's an
0: ongoing issue with
1: people believing all these myths about Oxbridge, and I still get messages from people saying they wouldn't have applied if it wasn't for me, and that, you know, they got in, um, they'll buy me a drink if I go to Oxford, and, you know, if I still get messages like that, which are lovely, it means that my job's not done. I need to keep doing it until everybody knows exactly what life there is like and believes that they can get in, because they can, if they're smart enough.
0: Yeah. So, dude, if people want to watch your videos... Or, they uh, or stalk you online, which, of course, they do. Uh, where should they go?
1: Uh, so my YouTube channel is um, youtube.com forward slash Simon That's Simon Oxford, O-X-F, Fizz P-H-Y-S. It's a stupid name. I don't know why I put that <laughs> F in there. It confuses everybody. Um, that's my YouTube. And then I've got I'm Simon Oxfiz on Twitter. I'm YouTube Simon on Facebook. I now have Goodreads because I started doing book reviews. Um, oh, sweet. And, uh, yeah, I'll be I, – I, just started with that so it's quite a nascent profile but i'll be doing i'm doing a series with a starting a book club quite soon actually hopefully where we're going to be like setting a book to read and then in six weeks or four weeks we'll do a video talking about the book and have a discussion in the comments so that's what the good reads is going to be for
0: that's awesome um we yeah i'm really that looking kind of on that. the podcast here oh really oh cool we're yeah and it, it's not like an official book club um and we haven't we don't even tell people what to read in advance but it's just like it's, hey, it's not a book club we, at all as <laughs> Well, okay. So we we have been reading books and doing episodes discussing them, and in the uh, most recent one, we were like, "Hey, do you guys want us to warn you before we do a book so you can read it in advance?" <laughs> so we're basically waiting for the first person to be like, "Um, yes, I care." Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. That that that's
1: that's the GoodRead stuff, and then I'm on Instagram, and um, I think that's 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 all the stalking that you can do. Uh, yeah. I I have a I have a I feel like I have a social media empire by this point. Wow. Yeah, the sun never sets on it, but it's a very small empire compared to compared to yours. I'm I'm like uh, you're the British Empire in the 19th century, and I'm the British Empire now.
0: <laughs> I have the what do they call that? The Commonwealth. Yeah, all well, those, but there is, is still countries. the Commonwealth. It's just the
1: fact that Britain owned all those countries then. That's and right. Then yeah, they they peacefully like yeah. I think almost in, I think almost every single one was a peaceful leaving the empire. It was like a democratic Except process. For us. Yeah, come on. Yay, <laughs> the British Empire. We may have killed and burned and, like, stolen basically all of your cultural artifacts, but we let you leave in peace. We gave it back. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, I'll actually say, uh, I'm completely bloodless. I
0: completely forgot, you know, about America. Yeah, I was going to um, say, like, we're, that's what, we're the ones that didn't peacefully do it. Like, yeah, like we'll be diplomatic about it. And we're just like, we want... Just, we don't want you to tax our whiskey. That's No, that was you guys. The whiskey tax was you guys, wasn't it? That was the, uh-huh. um... The Democratic Republicans in the South versus Hamilton. Um. Okay, so maybe maybe my history is wrong, but I had read that I th- I think the the Empire wanted to tax the import of rum or whiskey or something, and that was kind of like the first uh point there. of contention where the Americans were just like no, and then there was the Stamp Act, which was like the next one. Yeah, uh, and then and then you get the Boston Tea Party and then war. Because I, I yeah, I've been listening to a lot of Hamilton recently. Okay. I am
1: I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure that there was a whiskey tax on the south because the south had um a large part of the revenue was from whiskey and that was the cause of like um I think it was the third presidency whichever one it was the uh,
0: this is your country I don't know. The third president um, was Jefferson. Yeah, oh no no, it was one oh, well before Jefferson. So are you thinking that the there yeah, there was a whiskey rebellion? Yes, But what I'm talking about is this is before the Revolutionary War happened, before the Declaration of Independence, even before the Stamp Act, there was, um, there was a this whole tax thing. There was, a, it was either a whiskey oh, okay. tax or a rum tax, because rum was huge, uh, and that was kind of like the first, kind of one of the first acts of rebellion, and then we had the Stamp Act, and then all the... was kind of what all led went. to it. Yeah, I but read about honest, this in a book called The History of the World in Six Glasses, which was about like the development of hmm. drinks. Um, oh
1: that sounds amazing
0: yeah it was actually pretty cool it was like world history from the perspective of like the development of beer then wine then distilled liquors the coffee tea and then coca-cola and i think it was when they were talking in the distilled liquors chapter was talking about like yeah the american revolution was like the kind of the flames that stoked the fire was americans liked their distilled liquor and didn't want to pay more than they had to for it so,
1: oh, that's so good. I have no idea about that. Yeah. I'm a note of that.
0: I'll put that on the show notes as well. It's a, it's a pretty quick read. Um, the guy also wrote History of the Telegraph, which is a pretty cool book too.
1: Cool. Yeah. Well, to be honest, given the state of American politics at the moment, you can have it. Like, I, <laughs> we are very glad that you guys decided to walk away. <laughs>
0: the circus of American politics. Yeah. All right, dude. Uh, Great talking to you. Uh, Hopefully, I don't know, one person's still listening at this point. (laughs) Hello, mom. (laughs) Hi, other mom. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I think we'll, we'll just cut it here. Thanks, man. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Alright guys, that about does it for this episode. If you are still listening, if you're still like one of those six people who stuck around, thank you so much for listening to the end here, and hopefully you found it useful. Once again, you can find those show notes over at CIGpodcast.com. Find the episode 108 link, and you'll find all the resources and ways that you can rate and review the show on iTunes, and if you want to take a few minutes to help out the show, that is definitely a good way to do it. Rankings on iTunes get bumped up whenever somebody leaves a new rating and review, so if you Enjoy the show. I would highly appreciate if you could do that. Uh, Other than that... That is all I got for this episode. So next week, like I said, Martin and I are going to hit you with a ton of information. We're doing a three-part series on getting into college. We're going to be talking about the application process, finances, and how to become college ready, how to basically act like an adult and handle all the personal responsibility that comes from getting out from under your parents' wing and uh, moving into your college career. So look forward to that. And uh, otherwise, stay cute. See you next week.